0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right. I'm sure many of you guys know, as Candace said, they are on sabbatical and we have a good list of guest speakers lined up have you guys enjoyed like the past what has it been two three weeks yeah all right well we have another guest speaker and if you guys have been here for a while you'll recognize this face okay um last time he spoke must have been what two sermon series ago all right currently he is the associate pastor at victory church in the philly area and he's one of Aaron and candace's best friends please help me welcome jake curlin Thank you so much. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me again. I just want to thank especially your uh, your pastors, your lovely pastors who invited me to be here. They are so awesome, and I am so honored that they uh, asked me to speak today um, what's great about today and what's great about speaking at a church like Freedom Valley is that you guys are in tune with the Holy Spirit you're in tune with what God is doing in your church and that makes me excited because and let me tell you why I say that why I can say that is that when Candace told me what your uh, current series was freedom isn't free and she told me a little bit about it I got so excited because because that's almost identical to what we're speaking at my home church at Victory. And so that tells me that God is speaking to us collectively, that God is giving us a charge to own our own faith and do something with it. That's exciting. That's so awesome. So I get so excited when I hear that God is moving and God is doing amazing things and so, and he's collectively speaking to us. So let's jump in. We're going to be reading from Psalms today. Um, that was really cool that we got into that uh, that uh, trivia time into the Psalms. And so we're going to be reading from Psalm 116. But before I get to the passage, I have a quick question for you guys, maybe more of a survey, is I know everybody once in a while can get a song stuck in their head, right? Anybody? But is there anyone here that can get songs so stuck in their head that it becomes obnoxious, like it's like the worst thing ever in the world? Like you have to do whatever you can do to get it out of your head, it's like the worst, right? When you get that song in your head, and it's always the worst songs. It's never like a good song. It's always, and it's always the same loop of hooks. So I don't have that problem, but my wife does. And I found out early in our marriage, we've been married for 19 years, and I found out early in our marriage that she gets songs stuck in her head so easily that I literally only have to sing like, a, like one bar of a song, and it's and it's in her head for the rest of the day and it's so hilarious because what I'll do is I'll choose songs like Seven Nation Army or like uh, Muppets Manamana or something like that and, and and just to get it in her head just to see how long it'll take and I'll do it very nonchalantly because I don't want her to know it's funnier for me if she doesn't know that I am doing this to her so I'll sing a song and then she'll be like how did this song get stuck in my head she gets so frustrated and so I started to play a game with her. This is why I'm such a jerk. It's because I started playing this game with her where I would, and she doesn't know that I'm playing this game with her, where I will see how many songs I can get stuck in her head in one day. And I think my goal, uh, or I think my, my, my record was 16 songs in one day. And that's when she started to catch on that I'm doing this, that I'm messing with her. And, and you guys are probably wondering, for, well, first off, you're wondering how I've stayed married for 19 years. Yeah, like, <laughs> my wife, she's a saint, that's how. <laughs> she's a complete saint. But um, you're also probably wondering, where am I going with this? What is he talking about, getting songs stuck in the head? Well, the Bible tells us that the Lord puts a song in our hearts to sing. And he doesn't do this to annoy us. He doesn't do this so it's, uh, it, it, it's just rattling around somewhere in our heads. He does this to bless us. And we have to understand what that song is. So sometimes we have to remind ourselves. Sometimes we have to pull that out and remind ourselves what is my heart's song? And so today I love if we could dig into the word and understand what is our heart's singing today. So look to someone next to you and say, what's my heart's song? Hopefully we can find out, like two of you said it, so that's great. You guys, did everybody have their coffee this morning? Just so you know, I have ADHD, all right, so I go off on tangents, I might scream and yell and spit. So sorry for people. But um, uh, I, I love if I just, if, if we all could collectively just be like crazy today. If, no, just kidding. We don't have to be crazy. But I am exci- I'm excited because it's not every weekend I get to preach on one of my favorite passages. And today we are looking at Psalm 116. And it is one of my favorite passages. Ever since I was a little kid, I would sing this. Song and church because this was a psalm and what's wonderful about when we sing songs in church that are straight from scriptures that we never forget it and that's I've always been able to go back to this and use this to encourage myself in the Lord and let me just say a side note too um, man thank you worship team thank you worship team your t- worship team is awesome this that set again yeah exactly that set was exactly what God's going to be speaking today. It was affirming of that. And so God is, again, God is moving. So, But when I, what I'm also excited about from reading from Psalms 116 is that, um, that this is a, a, a geek out moment. This is like a Bible trivia moment. This is a messianic psalm, which means it's prophetically referring to the Messiah, to Jesus. And it's also one of the Passover psalms. So in Jewish tradition, they would sing this song or read this song during Passover. So um, likely it's that Jesus, th- this is a, likely a psalm that Jesus w- recited on the night of his arrest. And I want us to collectively picture that while we begin to understand the power of this passage. This is a passage that is all about Jesus. And we can see snapshots of him throughout this passage. And that's awesome because Jesus, let's understand that Jesus was always, has always been part of the Trinity. Prior to his human birth, Jesus was, all right? He's part of the Trinity. And all of the Bible, the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, point to Jesus. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, So let's pray and dive in to the living word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you that your word is living. We thank you that you have a word for us today. And God, I just pray that you open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what your word has to say. God, help us to leave here changed people on fire for you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start with verse one. We're going to read the whole passage. We're going to read the whole chapter, chapter one, uh, 116, Psalm 116. And it says this. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overlooked me. I saw only trouble and sorrow, and then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believe in you, so I said, I'm deeply troubled. Lord, in my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. What can I offer to the Lord for all that he's done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant. Born into your household, you have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Wow, what an incredible passage. What an incredible snapshot of who Jesus is. And I, uh, I want to go through little snapshots of who Jesus is as we go through. Can we do that? Can we, can we kind of flesh out who Jesus is in this passage as we understand and discover our heart song? Can we do that together? One of my biggest sources of joy as a father is when my kids would, um, they would they would call me close. My kids, when they were like tiny little things, they're, they're not so tiny anymore, so they're not as cute, but um, they were cute at one point. And they would call us close. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but a child that'll call you close and whisper a request in your ear. Have you ever had that happen? And you just want to give them whatever they want because it's so adorable as they're calling you close and i can't help but vision envision this as i read this passage of our father calling us bending down from, uh, we're calling on our father and our father's bending down from the heavens from his throne of glory to listen to our requests and finding joy in each one of them if that doesn't make you respond in awe i don't know what will but you you know there's more there because the psalmist he was in trouble and people had lied and because of that he was in danger of death and I don't know if lies have ever gotten you into a serious situation but death is as serious as things get and the bigger picture we see here is not the psalmist's petition to the Lord it's not it's not our petition to the Lord the bigger picture is is that we see a glimpse of Jesus, and that snapshot tells us our first snapshot, our first glimpse of Jesus in this is that Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer. What implications does that have for us? We hear that over and over and over in church, but do we really believe it? Well, don't miss this. The Lord doesn't just hear our prayers. He answers them, and it's right in his word. He answers them, and his answer to our prayers is much more than what we ask or could imagine. The psalmist speaks of temporal danger where Jesus is certainly capable of saving us, but there's a bigger sense of redemption that we need to understand here. So let's unpack this. The Lord hears our prayers and answers them. We can go to him freely knowing that he loves us, that he cares about us, and cares about what we're going through. This is awesome. And the wording, I love the Lord in Hebrew, suggests a deep excitement and emotion to God. There's an, expre- there's an expectation when we come to the throne of the Lord. There's an expectation when we're at his feet. When we come to the Lord, ha- when's the last time you got excited about coming to the Lord? When is the last time you got excited about being at his feet? When is the last time you got excited about being in the middle of a difficult circumstance? Because that's where the psalmist is here. He's facing death. He's in a difficult circumstance, yet he is excited about approaching the Lord. He's excited about it. And God, I'm in this terrible situation. God, I'm so afraid. God, I'm so anxious. But God, I'm so excited to run to your feet. But God, I'm so honored to be in your presence. But God, I can't help but praise because you are you. That's the posture we need to glean from the psalmist here. I can't get over this. He bends down and listens. Or in other translations, it says he's inclined his ear to me. And these words, speak of amazing, never-ending love of God, he bends down from his place of glory to meet the needs of his people. But more importantly, it points prophetically to the Lord's response of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. what needs to happen for the church to collectively have an awakening is that we need to flip the narrative of us going to the Lord wrapped up in ourselves and start entering his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts entering his courts with praise this is the Lord this is the giver of life we are entering into his presence and rightly it's all about him and his glory amen church he's heard our cries and his response was and is Jesus and that's why he's worthy of praise and glory do we get that let's have a collective mind-blowing moment when we're crying out to the Lord do we understand that Jesus was and is the best response we could ever get for what we're asking for let me say that again, because I need that to really sink in for us to understand that when we're crying out to the Lord, do we understand that Jesus was and is this best response we could get for what we're asking for? That's just the truth of it. It puts a little perspective on the way we ought to petition the Lord in prayer, right? If we want to properly read and pray the prayers of the Bible, especially the Psalms, we can't ask first what they have to do with us, but rather how they reveal more of Jesus to us. See, I want you to hear me. I never want to belittle uh, the battles that you struggle with or the battles that you face. face. We live in a fallen world, and because of that, we experience suffering, and that's just a symptom of the fallen world, right? And you might be facing death like the psalmist here. I don't know what your situation is. I just, I don't. But this is where prayer and petition is essential. But wouldn't you agree we have a lot to understand when it comes to prayer and the Lord's response to our prayers? See, far too often I find myself going to the Lord with the big and the little and asking God, help me, help me, help me, crying out to the Lord for the things I need and and missing the idea that I am in the holy presence of the Lord, the creator of all things, who is holy. His very presence should cause me to lay prostrate on the ground in honor, knowing he has sacrificed all for an unworthy me. See, when we get a glimpse of what prayer looks like in heaven, because let me just give you an example. Prayer doesn't end when we die. We continue to pray on on into eternity. And so as I kind of unpack this for myself, I kind of understand, wow, I really don't know how to pray. I really don't understand what prayer looks like. And that's okay. That's an okay place to be because Jesus' disciples who grew up knowing prayers and reciting prayers all their lives still asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. They walked and talked with Jesus and they still asked, teach us how to pray. And so it's okay for us to say we don't know how to pray as long as we're petitioning the Lord and asking us, teach us, teach us, help us grow, help us know that freedom isn't free. Help us know that we need to grow in knowing you more. And when we look at Revelation, we see the throne room of heaven. And we see the cherubim and the seraphim, and they're flying all around. And we see the priests, the holy priests, with their face on the ground. And all they can say is, holy, 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 because God is holy. And because it is all about him, and not about us. It's all about him. See, we need to understand that our response in prayer is not we feel a need, a want, or a fear, so we cry out to the Lord and He leaves His throne of majesty to respond. Luckily, we have a God, a merciful God, that does respond. But the bigger picture is that God is bigger and His mercy has already provided for our circumstances. Right? The emphasis, is he, the emphasis here is that expectation in prayer is essential. I dare say it's as essential as the prayer itself. And the psalmist says, I will pray as long as I have breath in my lungs. That's a lifelong commitment. If we step back and look at the Psalms as a whole, we'll see a response of praise, adoration, thankfulness, etc., regardless of circumstance. We even see it in this passage. What's awesome about this passage is that he laments, yes, he brings his petition to the Lord, yes, but then he tells the Lord how great he is, how wonderful he is, how awesome he is, how he's brought him through so much. And when we pray to the Lord, sometimes we think, oh, well, why do we have to even bring a prayer to to the Lord because I mean honestly he already knows my situation well it's not for you (laughs) when we pray to the Lord we're reminding him of who he is and then so we're bolstering our own faith we're reminding ourselves of what he's done for us see when Jesus said it's finished he meant it See, the Psalms here, they're, they're meant to be sung corporately. And I know some of you, that would be miserable. And for me, that would be miserable. So I think if we could just say some of these affirmations, these corporate responses together, I would love if we could do that together. And so as we wrap up this first section of this first snapshot that Jesus is our deliverer, let's say this together. I love the Lord because he's my deliverer. Can we say that together? I love the Lord because he's He is my deliverer. Believe it. Still with me? Good. Um, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, I was uh, that, you know, total, like, 80s kid, bought into the, all the marketing of that. And um, two things that a, a good 80s kid had was a G.I. Joe collection and a Transformer collection. Uh, if anybody knows the 80s, they know that that's the, just the key. But unfortunately, I had eight brothers and sisters growing up and uh, we were we were not wealthy. We were actually dirt poor. And so we didn't get a lot of gifts. We didn't grow up with a lot. Um, a lot of times birthdays uh, didn't come with presents they just came with you know like cake my my parents did their best they tried their best but it was really difficult for them so but as uh, 80s kid I what I wanted so badly more than anything else was like the holy grail of toys and that was the die cast Optimus Prime. And so I know that back in the early 2000s, Transformers kind of made a resurgence and so most of you should know who Optimus Prime is but for those who've been living under a rock I'll kind of uh, explain it to you. Uh, Optimus Prime is the leader of the Autobots. All right, He is like the coolest guy. He turned into a pickup truck. He was like, uh, he was just the coolest of the cool. And I wanted him so badly. And not only was he so cool, but he was not just plastic. He was like metal. So you could beat the mess out of this thing and it would still last. And I knew that if I got a toy, because most of my toys that I'd get would end up getting the mess beat out of them by one of my brothers and sisters. So I needed something that was going to be durable. So I actually, asked my parents for Optimus Prime over and over and over again, and my birthday was coming up, and it was the big 1-0. I was turning double digits. I was turning 10. That was a big deal for me, and so I asked my parents. I said, hey, can I get Optimus Prime? And they said, I don't know. We'll see. You know how parents say that, and you're like, yes, it's mine. Like You say maybe, and it's like, it's done. It's over. In my kid brain, that meant definitely you're getting it and 10 other things. Um, But so my parents kept just hinting to the fact that they were getting me Optimus Prime. And so I was so excited. So my birthday came and I ripped open my present and standing before me, and if any of you know anything about like just 80s culture, you know that this is just going to be the most gut-wrenching moment of the story, is that I looked down and in front of me was not Optimus Prime was not even a transformer. It was a GoBot. I don't know if anybody knows what a GoBot is. GoBots are just sheer trash, all right? right. If you're a GoBot fan, fight me on it because like, let me tell you, GoBots are garbage, all right? And so I looked at it and with the best strength I could muster, I gave him a thank you you know, like try not to be that ungrateful kid that like just got the worst news of his life that he was not getting Optimus Prime. And I knew all the kids would make fun of me. So I I, I tried to make the best of it. I I put together this, it was supposed to be a, a airplane. And literally as I transformed it the first time, it fell to pieces in front of me. And I just remember, oh, this is just awful. This is just terrible. My mother, God bless her heart tried to get me the toy I wanted but anyone who knows anything about Transformer is is that a GoBot is no Transformer But the crazy part of this story is that how often do we do this spiritually? Jesus isn't going to snatch peace away from us or embarrass us or try to prove some cosmic lesson. But it's like this, if we get the first part of Jesus is our deliverer, if we get that but neglect to go to him or ask him for help when we need it, there's a problem. Because if we stop at Jesus being the answer, if we stop and say, well, Jesus is the answer, so I'll just leave it at that. I don't need to bring petitions up to him. I don't need to go to the throne room of God. I don't need to go to his feet and and bring a petition up to him. Um, Then we will miss out. That type of thinking will bring us to a place where we most certainly will look elsewhere for answers or provision only Jesus can provide. We will be setting up. We will be setting up ourselves for failure. We will be settling for cheap knockoffs instead of the real thing. And knockoffs will always let you down. See, the second snapshot, this all leads us to the second snapshot we see in this passage of Jesus. And that is that Jesus is our source of rest and peace. If you're going through something, if you're going through a circumstance, Jesus is our deliverer and he's also the source of our rest and peace. This is what makes him so worthy of praise. Jesus is the source of our rest and peace. Let's read verses four through eight again. I called upon the name of the Lord. See, the Lord moves when we call upon his name. I called upon the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. There is power in and calling in on the name of the Lord. Ah, there's so much to unpack here. And I'm going to try and stay focused, though. So if we're seeking any kind of peace or rest outside of Jesus, it's sheer folly. It's nonsense. And I dare say a form of idolatry we're all guilty of. Let me say a, a, a side note that Netflix will not give you the piece you're looking for. Amazon Shopping will not give you the piece that you're looking for. Winning the lottery will not give you the piece that you're looking for. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse. See where I'm going here, church? We are not going to get peace from things outside the source of peace. Who is the author of peace? Call who called chaos into order? Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says, Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is our everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can ever measure up to the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. And strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And some of you might be thinking, well, this guy needs to get a little bit tired because he's a little bit crazy and and hectic. But man, I just love the idea that God gives us such a, a, a blessing of energy and excitement and power and uh, and and he says strength, new strength when we seek him and and understand who he is. And I can say with all confidence that outside the authority of Christ in the center of any endeavor for peace, individually or corporately, is a fool's errand. Fight me on it. Do we see this theme unfolding? Do we understand that this is everything? When we position ourselves to receive from Jesus the blessing upon blessing upon blessing he bestows on us and allow it to change our mindset to see that it's all about him and our praise song to him, it's over. It's over. We can see oppression stomped out and lives change. You want peace in your life? You want peace in our nation? Then run to the author of peace. Call upon his name like the psalmist, the rock of our salvation. And this might not be new info to you, uh, but by golly, if you know it, show it. Jesus' resurrection is given a gift of an eternal advocate. And just like uh, in court, we have charges drawn against us. And they're just or unjust, but we can't properly defend ourselves. Yet Jesus is our advocate and our substitute. And he not, he not only speaks for us, but he also takes the punishment for us. And I don't know if there's any lawyers in the room, but I have plenty of lawyer friends. And I can safely say that not one of them would say, hey, I'm going to take a, whatever judgment that you, you know, d- decide for my client. I'm going to take the punishment. I don't know any lawyer that would do that. And yet, regardless of that, Christ does that, and he doesn't even ask us to have it all together when we come to him. He comes to our rescue while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of Christ, he died for us. Can you imagine what kind of that kind of love looks like? Stop imagining it. Live it. Let's respond to his grace together. The Lord is my peace who has broken down every wall and obstacle. Let's say that The Lord is my peace who has broken down every wall and obstacle. Let's live it, church. When we get to a place where we have petitioned the Lord and he has listened, uh, but here is the backbone of the entire passage. This is the third snapshot of Jesus is that Jesus is deserving of our praise. And so the psalmist, he asks uh, the same question we should be asking, what can I offer the Lord for all that he has done for me? The psalmist asks that question, what can I offer the Lord? And then he immediately responds, and this is why I love the way this psalm is written out. It says in verse 13, I will lift up a cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die oh lord i am your servant yes i am your servant born into your household you had you have freed me from my chains and don't miss this i will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the lord i will fulfill my vows to the lord in the presence of all his people The Lord drank from our cup of judgment so that we can freely drink from his cup of salvation. What can I do to repay the Lord for all the good that he has done? Let's dig into that. What we need more than anything else in life is salvation from our own sinful nature. It's our greatest need in life, and Jesus is the answer. And this is our reconciliation with the Lord to be able to walk in saving grace of a restored relationship with Him. You still with me, church? Good, good. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone is sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard so understanding our need of repentance from sin helps us become closer to the Lord not that our circumstance is a direct result of our sin sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but uh, our cries for mercy should have the foundation of understanding that we are unworthy yet receive and it's a gift it's the reward that we receive and it's grace but it's a costly grace and this is where it gets good. It's so a track with me. There's a theologian, a famous theologian. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he speaks directly to the dichotomy of cheap grace and costly grace. And he says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Grace without discipleship. I said my prayer so I am good. I can go on doing the same exact things that brought me to the feet of Jesus to begin with never growing in my prayer life, never growing in discipleship with the Lord. This is cheap grace, and we bestow it on ourselves all the time. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again and again, and it's the gift that must be asked for. It's the door that must be knocked on because it's, it's costly because it costs us our life. And it's grace because it gives the only true life that can be given. Do we get this? See, understanding this is walking in the deliverance of Jesus and the peace of Jesus. And Don't get me wrong. This is not to say that we need to beat ourselves up and wallow in despair. The cost of grace is our life, yet we don't mourn this. We should never mourn the loss of our sacrificed life to Jesus because that's not, that life, it's not a true life. It's not the life that we were created for. We rejoice in the provision of a new way of living. And this is why Romans 3, this is, uh, you know, I've heard it so many times in church, Romans three twenty three. 23, you all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we usually stop there. But there's so much more after that. There's so much excitement and meat after that. And it says uh, after verse 23, it says yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, the sacrifice shows that God was being fared when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past for he was looking ahead oh that's so awesome and including them in what he would do in this present time God did all this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. It's gone. Jesus has taken our place. This is the cup of salvation that the psalmist is praising about. The question I asked earlier, how do we repay the Lord? The answer with praise. That's the answer. The psalmist wraps this up, this whole passage, with a declaration of lifelong thanksgiving and public praise of our Lord. There's an old hymn that I, uh, that I used to sing as a kid called, I Hear the Accuser Roar. Some of you might know that. And it states this line and it says, Well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none it's been washed away see now more than ever we need to be a people of thanksgiving and praise we need to be a people who share the hope of the psalmist that the psalmist sings of we need to be a people that share the glory of the lord with our world Amid crisis, can we see Jesus moving? And even if we don't see him, can we know that he certainly is moving and publicly praise him for it? See, well, sometimes we get a little bit caught up in the, in, in the thought that, well, well, God doesn't move quick enough for me or God doesn't move in the timing that I want. And God's timing is God's timing. It's Cairo's timing. It's the Lord's timing. And see, when The fall of man happened in in the garden of eden jesus's immediate response or god's immediate response was jesus see because that's god's timing see he knew what we needed when we needed it and so even if we don't see him can we know he certainly is moving and publicly praise him for it this is our heart song that i mentioned earlier and the beginning, and it needs to be the core of our praise. Can we hear the accuser roar and know that our advocate is already fighting our battles, and that battle's already won? And then we can praise dance the walls down. Jesus says if we don't praise, the rocks will cry out, and I don't want any stones taking my place. I have a song of my heart. I have God's breath in my lungs, and so I'll take that praise and pour it back to him. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will praise the very breath that he gave me. I'm going to use it to pour back praise after praise after praise because he is worthy of our praise. Let's say that together in closing. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Jesus is worthy of our praise. So as I close, I'd love for us to open up our hearts to a few things. I have two two takeaways for us today if we can. And the first is, is that if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or feel like maybe you've fallen away from a right relationship with him, I want you, as in this very moment, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you do anything. I just want you to take a moment, and I want you to say this prayer. I'm going to say it. You don't have to repeat after me unless you're making that prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Um, but I'm going to just say this prayer. And if you believe this in your heart, you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so I'm going to say this prayer and I want you to just repeat it with me silently. Jesus, I know I, Jesus, I know I've done wrong and I am unworthy. I believe you died and rose again for me. Come into my heart and be a part of my life. And that's as simple as that we have to say. is as simple as the prayer we have to say. It's come into my life. And if you said that prayer today and you believed it and you wanted to make that commitment to the Lord, we want to talk to you. There's church staff here that want to give you a Bible. They want to pray with you. So take some time and tell somebody. But you made the best decision of your life today if that's a decision you made. And uh, we want to there's celebration in heaven. We want to celebrate with you a little bit. So don't leave this building without telling someone that you made that decision. The second thing I want to have you walk away with is that public praise means sharing the gospel with others. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you a little bit and say, this week, take some time to really press into more of the Lord. Take some time to really pray. Take some time to say, God, show me in a- areas of my life where I need to grow. Show me in areas of my life where I need to be discipled. And then share your God story with someone or invite someone to church this week. That's, that's my walk. That's my takeaway. It's very simple. Share your God story with someone or invite someone to church. Some of you, that scares the mess out of you. And some of you like, all right, I got this. But either way, that's my challenge for you. Take it or leave it. But I have a benediction for you. I have a blessing for you. And I would love for you to look up and receive it. And then we have some uh, other next steps. We're going to have Tom come up and, and uh, close out the service. But if you could just put your hands out just received from the Lord today from his word. And this is what it says in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through the endless ages. Week. Amen. Yes, can we give Brother Jacob a round of applause? Thank you, brother. That was a good, good, good word. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.churchslash imn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.